Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's cool fact of the day is, when I was maybe 10 years old, I was the New Mexico gold panning state champion. That's right, I pulled three gold nuggets out of a pan faster than all the adults, and I felt really good about myself. But this is really about gold, not about that. It turns out you can be allergic to gold. And a lot of people don't know this. In fact, gold is often touted as being hypoallergenic. My wife and I, a few years ago, ran a company that would use radioactive white blood cell counting to look at white blood cell proliferation in response to things like gold or titanium. And some people, without having any antibodies, will have an unexplained proliferation of white blood cells. In other words, they get inflammation from certain metals. And this is a problem if you have those metals in your mouth or in your joints. I have a titanium screw in my knee, for instance. And if things like that are jacking with your system, it's gonna be kind of weird. So don't think you can't be allergic to a metal that's hypoallergenic. The other thing you might not know is that some companies, when they're making implants or dental things, they claim it's free of a certain amount of metal because the regulations say if there's less than 2% of a metal in something, it's not there at all. Well, if you're allergic to something and the new filling in your mouth is 2% that thing, you may find odd symptoms happening. So it turns out if your immune system is doing things you don't like, you ought to know about it. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. 
If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. It's been a little while since I've done a Q&A podcast, and this is one of the favorite things that I get to do. It's just been such a fast thing because of the new Bulletproof Diet book. I just finished the manuscript and sent it in. It's been a huge relief, and it's time to do a Q&A podcast. This week, I'm joined by Zach, who works for Bulletproof. And Zach, would you just share a little bit more about yourself with our listeners and talk a little bit more about how you got into biohacking and how you got to be Bulletproof before we go into the Q&A? just want to introduce yourself to the people. Sure. Yeah. Uh, my name is Zach Garcia. I actually heard a podcast with you, Dave. Uh, it's been almost two years since that. And what I decided to do in January of 2013 was just go full on in the Bulletproof lifestyle. And it made such a huge impact on my life and my just daily performance and how I felt that uh, I just got really passionate about Bulletproof. And for me, uh, being a combat veteran and being in the military, you know, I had experienced PTSD symptoms and uh, had been through the whole VA system with uh, different pharmaceutical recommendations that didn't seem to help. But when I got my diet in alignment and I started using the heart math, uh, things really came together for me as far as getting control of my anxiety, and uh, it was just transformative for me. So I started uh, touting the Bulletproof products and the lifestyle to a lot of my friends and family, and uh, within a couple months, I started doing some affiliate sales for you guys, and then you offered me a job. So we've been working together for over a year now. Zach, let, let's be a little bit more honest. You stalked me until I hired you. <laughs> Is that pretty accurate? That's fair to say. <laughs> Um, by the way, um, when you're listening to this, almost everyone on the Bulletproof team, you know, we're a small, scrappy, distributed team, but um, everyone was like, I got into this, it rocked, and I just wanted to do it. So um, I'm glad you're aboard, Zach. Thanks. So, all right. One of the things we do at Bulletproof is everyone gets some stuff every month for biohacking. It's just part of the high-performance culture, just part of, of who we are. And I know you're always doing crazy stuff as well. So before we get into Q&A from the forum and all, what are some of the things that you've been hacking on yourself? Like, what's, It's not all about just what I'm doing. Like, What do other people who care about this stuff do? So um, we didn't script this. I have no idea what you're going to say. <laughs> well, one of the things that's always top of mind for me in my biohacking is uh, sleep. Uh, everybody knows how important sleep is and uh, you know, talk about it a lot uh, on the Bulletproof Exec blog. And uh, so I use Sleep Cycle app, which is just, you know, on your iPhone, it's I think two bucks. It's not the most accurate data, but it gives you a, a plan and how to track your sleep, at least knowing what some of the changes are, what the effect is on your sleep quality. So you can look at things over time and know, okay, well, if I tweak my diet here or if I add, you know, honey, like you had recommended a couple of years ago on the blog, uh, in the evening, then I can actually increase my sleep quality. So I've got all this sleep tech uh, in my bed around uh, tracking with uh, the Sleep Cycle app and the Bedit sensor. And then I use You've got the, the Bedit now? Yeah, I've got the Bedit. I love that stuff, man. Uh, shout out to Bedit, B E D D I T. 
that is the least intrusive, most detailed sleep sensor. If you turn on like geek mode, you can get heart rate variability while you sleep all night long without having anything touching you and without having any Wi-Fi in the bed. Like that's amazing. Anyway, good. And that's the pro version, just so people know. And yeah, so so one of the things is looking at your metrics and, and tracking the, the changes that are happening uh, in your sleep and your sleep quality. And then it's about, you know, tweaking and adding supplements and different things that can affect your sleep quality. So, um, you know, we use a, the Bulletproof Sleep Induction System, which is the spiky mat, which is really great uh, for falling asleep faster. Um, and then there are a lot of different things. But uh, one thing that I've noticed uh, that has really increased my sleep quality is actually going into the flotation tank. So uh, I've been doing this on a regular basis, usually about every two weeks. And on the nights after a float, I see an increase in sleep quality of about 17%. So for me, that's been like the biggest sleep hack. Uh, it's also really helpful for just that work-life balance and uh, kind of just centering yourself. All right. Now here's a question for you. When you float, you're floating in magnesium sulfate, basically Epsom salt. So are you sleeping better because you got Epsom salt or are you sleeping better because you had like psychological relief? I definitely, it's both because I've used magnesium supplements like uh, Natural Calm right. and seen an increase in sleep quality from that. So absolutely the magnesium has an effect um, on like the biochemistry side of things, but also just from a psychological and, and almost like metaphysical point, um, going into the chamber and isolating yourself from not just, you know, your life and, and everything that's going on, emails and those things, but um, depriving the, the sensory input, um, like you're going into a tank that is the same temperature as your skin, 98.6 degrees, there is no light, there's no sound, and after about, for me, about 30 to 45 minutes, I go into this higher state. And um, it's similar to what we experienced when we did the 40 years of Zen together. Um, and so it's, it's about kind of hacking into that higher state of consciousness and when you're in that state, um, you can really filter through a lot of the things in your life uh, that you don't necessarily have time to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And that allows me to really relax. And uh, I think that really improves my sleep quality as well as the magnesium. From where I sit, I tend to think that anything that makes meditation deeper and more efficient in less time causes greater change, even than just doing a lighter meditation for longer. So floating absolutely works, float tanks, heart rate variability, which you mentioned earlier, works, and all the things that make you meditate better, including like the 40 years of Zen, uh, any kind of neurofeedback, neurooptimal, all of those things, when you do them, at least for me, I sleep deeper for the next night, sometimes the next month, depending on how big of a thing it is. You mentioned 40 years of Zen, for people listening who probably haven't heard about that. That's an intensive seven-day neurofeedback program that I run mostly CEO-type clients through. Uh, it, you basically spend all day, every day, hooked up to eight electrodes to teach your brain to do what a advanced Zen master will do, and it has profound effects. And I've been working on bringing the Bulletproof team through the training with me. It's a, a, an expensive, long process, um, but it provides a, um, one of the fastest, like deepest things I've ever done. I've spent six weeks of my life hooked up to electrodes doing that sort of training in order to get more control of, uh, of my brain and. Uh, to be able to perform at the level where I think I'm capable of and where I can do the most. So, uh, well, thanks for thanks for the, the input and just for sharing with people, Zach, about the kind of biohacking you're doing as part of the Bulletproof team, just as a kick-ass guy. Absolutely, and uh, I'm curious to know what 
sort of hacks you've been using. I know you've been writing the book a lot lately and pulling some all-nighters. And uh, it, I think it would be useful to kind of tell people some of the really cool hacks that you've used in your writing. So I, I've been a little uh, quieter on social media than normal. I've, I've really worked to, to get, uh, working with you actually, on, on getting the posts up so we can let people know the cool things happening. Um, but I haven't been answering as much on Twitter and all because um, I've been working on the book manuscript. And it's been a complete crazy time. I signed a book deal that I hadn't planned on signing. I was probably going to self-publish. Uh, Rodale is going to be publishing the Bulletproof Diet book uh, towards the end of this year. And you'll, of course, if you're on the email list, go to bulletproofdietbook.com and we'll make sure you get all those special bonuses and whatever else uh, for, for purchasing the book. I'll, I'll take care of you. But it was a six-week deal to write 70,000 words. And good thing I've been thinking about this for, oh, like 10 years. And... <laughs> I had some of the things done, but I sat down and I cranked on this thing while traveling to New York and Chicago and Connecticut and a bunch of other road trips. So I ended up pulling five all-nighters in a row where I'd sleep basically between two and four hours a night. I used Bulletproof Coffee. And for me as a writer, uh, in fact, if you want, we'll link to this from the show notes. I gave a talk at a transhumanist conference a couple years ago called Augmented Authors, Tools for People Who Write. I used everything in that presentation. And I had actually a nicotine patch, which is something I've used for cognitive enhancement for years, or sometimes I'll use a lozenge. I don't smoke, I've never really smoked. Uh, I've smoked a couple cigars. But nicotine as a cognitive enhancer, specifically for writing, rocks. So what I do is I go to my sweet spot. I write from 11 p.m. until 5 a.m. That is when the words flow. I go into a flow state and I'm like, what just happened? So what I was doing is I would write kind of all day and handle some other uh, business things, you know, calls with, with you and other people on the team and see my kids. And then after dinner, I'd go down to my office. I'd have a bulletproof coffee at nine. Is this bad for my circadian rhythm? Absolutely. Totally, totally bad. I turned on red lights, dim the lights, so I'm writing at least so my body knows it's nighttime. And I put on headphones, listen to music without a lot of words, and then I would take my stack of smart drugs. I would take theanine, which is an amino acid that relaxes you, that amplifies caffeine nicely. I've been taking theanine with Bulletproof Coffee on and off for a while. You can mix it in the coffee. I usually just pop it, though. There's no advantage. like it, There's no liposomal effect or something from blending it in. Then the other thing I would do is I would take a stack of smart drugs. You all probably know I take aniracetam and I've been quoted in like Rolling Stone and Men's Health and all kinds of things like that about it, but it's only one of the racetams. So I was stacking oxiracetam, aniracetam, and phenylparacetam all at the same time. And then I'm already like so dialed in and the words are just flowing. But after about a half hour, I put on my CES machine. This is cerebral electrical stimulation and this is something I would just uh, stick a little electrode to either side of my temple and run a current. And there's some interesting studies around gamma in writing. And I've known for a while that a gamma state when I'm writing just completely transforms what I do. So I put it at 57.5 hertz. Why that? Because it was a harmonic of 2.5 hertz, which is a pretty interesting uh, delta state. So I have no idea if 57.5 is better than 56, but 
I've actually tested some of the different things up there. And for dreaming, actually 47.5 seems to work better. But whatever. Uh, for this one, 57.5 just felt like the right one. And I would run that for about 120 minutes, about two hours, with a very, very mild amount of current, less than static electricity. And the words came. I mean, I, I delivered this thing. It was a pre-negotiated about three days later than the original date. And I, I felt amazing. In fact, I felt better than normal, even during the day. And I know that if I kept this up for a long time, that that would really kind of ruin my health. The other thing I did is I took low dose cortisol during this time because I knew I was under biological stress. I was already jet lagged. I just spent a lot of time in New York. I gave a speech in an autism conference and gave a speech to a bunch of CEOs about increasing performance. And I'm like burning the candle at both ends, but I don't want to pay the cost for that any more than I have to. So I got the book deal done, got the manuscript out. There's still editing to do. I'm super stoked. It's got new science, new reasons for bulletproof coffee in it. But I did this using my own stuff. The other thing I do, if I started to lag, is I take a break. And I actually increase my carb intake because during times of intense stress, you need a few more carbs. The carb that I chose was mochi, which is pounded white rice, but it's glutinous white rice. And I did that because heated and then cooled rice actually contains additional resistant starch. I took probiotics with it. And as long as I'm doing that stuff at night, I didn't gain any weight during this time. Although I did get a little bit of inflammation towards the end. I would also do the whole body vibration platform. I put my feet up on the wall, do an L pose with my hands down and hold it for a minute. So I'm vibrating 30 times a second and my head's down. So I'm getting more blood into my head, but it's just completely rejuvenating to do that. So I, I just, I felt amazing the whole time. And I felt like I was getting all this passion into the book. Uh, so that was kind of my little stack of performance enhancement. And I guess oh, I also did some laser kind of stuff on the back of my head, but that's maybe another time. These are uh, medical cool lasers that increase nitric oxide synthase, increase blood flow, increase mitochondria. I also, just to try to remember all the stuff I did, there's a new supplement uh, coming out called Unfair Advantage, which is the... I'd say the second most exciting thing that I've come across. The first one is actually Bulletproof Coffee because when you get all that stuff dialed in with Bulletproof Coffee, it has been transformative for me. And when I look at Unfair Advantage, I'm absolutely convinced that there will be like world records broken on the stuff. It's a mitochondrial enhancer, has no herbs in it. It's just basic biochemistry in a way that's never been done before. So I am, I'm super stoked. should be out in the next month or two and I'm already custom making it for a few people in very high performance situations like at professional poker tables and things like that where I custom formulate for people and um, it's it changed my book for sure and uh, everyone I know who's tried it with the exception of two people have said what is it I want more it works so um, that, that was part of my secret to get to getting this done as well I did not take pro vigil during the book because I just didn't feel the need that's awesome that is a mouthful of biohacking advice right there and a lot of people in our community, uh, they come in and they're like, this is so cool. I want to get into this. And really, it doesn't take all of this knowledge of chemistry to start biohacking. Anybody can do it. And, it, and you could just focus on, you know, your sleep as one place to start or changing your morning routine, like, you know, adding bulletproof coffee or more fats in the morning. And these, this is all biohacking. And it's, it's something that anybody can do. Um, we've got uh, grandmas on our site talking about biohacking. Like it's literally for everybody. And actually, we should mention uh, that the Bulletproof Biohacking Conference is coming up. Um, there's a sale right now, a pre-sale on tickets. 
So if you're interested in biohacking and you want to know more about you know, the different ways that you can get into it and look at some of the newest technology around biohacking that's going to be available, um, it's in September, between uh, September 26th and 28th in Los Angeles. And you can go to bulletproofconference.com to, uh, to get your tickets. I suggest you do it fast because uh, they've been going like hotcakes and uh, there's a lot of people that are going to be involved and uh, it's, it's going to be a really fun weekend. I'm, I'm looking forward to it for sure. So Zach, you weren't around for the first Bulletproof Biohacking Conference, which was the first ever biohacking conference uh, that was about a year and a half ago. And that one sold out for sure. We had about, uh, about 100 people then. This one should be substantially bigger just because more people have heard about this. But the thing that makes it different and the reason I put a lot of energy just personally into making it happen is that um, conferences are, by the way, not a particularly profitable thing to do. Uh, we broke even on the first one. We'll probably break even on this one. But what it is is it's a, a way to bring a whole bunch of people together. You can always like have a have a list of lectures kind of conference. This is actually hands-on biohacking. Like you're gonna have a 20 foot tall custom built machine working with Flow Genome Project in order to put you in a flow state. So we're talking like gluing sensors to yourself and experiencing stuff where instead of having to kind of wonder about it and fantasize about it, like actually I, I, I plugged myself in and I found out that this sensor, which is like 50 bucks, totally gave me something interesting. Maybe I want to try that. And maybe I just want to get like a connected scale and just graph my, my stuff. So there's all kinds of different levels you can do, but experiencing it all as well as learning about it is the goal. Because honestly, if you want to learn, listen to the podcast, read the blog, like the knowledge is there. This is about meeting the people and touching the stuff. And that's, a passion of mine and I'm, I'm grateful that some of my big performance improvements have come from experiencing things, not just reading them. So I, I'm, I'm stoked to do this and some of the speakers, they're like Stephen Kotler, the guy who wrote Rise of Superman uh, from the Flow Genome Project, he'll be keynoting and you'll hear a lot from me and just a, a star cast of other people who are from the biohacking world. So I'm, I, I don't want to wax on about that on our podcast here, but like that's going to be the coolest thing ever in LA. Awesome. Well, let's get into the, uh, the Q&A portion. So we've got uh, a bunch of questions from the community. Uh, if you guys don't know, check out the forums on bulletproofexec.com. There are conversations happening every day. If you have questions that um, you, don't, you can't find answers to on the blog, go to the forums and ask them. There is a bunch of biohacking people out there that would just they love answering and talking about just the different things that they've tried and you know uh, tweaking the bulletproof diet for different people because everybody's different. So uh, first off, want to give a shout out to Jason Hooper, our forum manager, uh, moderator, I should say. He's just awesome. Uh, this guy has so much passion and he's he's there to help. So uh, that's a great resource for people. So first question comes from Kevin. Um, he's thirty nine years old and he says. What do you think about chicory? Is it bulletproof or not? Uh, and there's a follow-up, which is unrelated, but he also asks, what's your take on moderate tanning bed usage? All right. If you smear the chicory all over your body before the tanning usage, no. <laughs> and so chicory is a source of inulin, which is a fermentable fiber. And I've been doing a lot lately around gut bacteria and fiber. In fact, uh, I'm just I'm wearing my Ubiome shirt. Uh, Ubiome, by the way, was at the first Bulletproof Biohacking Conference. This is a long time ago in terms of, of getting the genetic sequence of what's in your gut. I can tell you some people on inulin feel like crap. They get brain fog, they get gas, they don't do well. 
the Resistance Starch crowd, and you've heard some amazing people on from the Resistance Starch sort of uh, forefront of research. Uh, people like Dr. Grace and people like uh, Richard Nikolai and Tater Top Tim have been on the podcast already, right? Now, they will tell you if you can't handle inulin, it's because your gut bacteria is bad. And they may have a point there. You know, maybe your gut's off. However, what I'd say is you got to try this stuff. So if you try it and you try it for a week or two and you feel like crap all the time, you got to listen to your body. And one interpretation is, hey, there's something, something off in your gut bacteria. I found that I tolerate some resistant starch. I don't tolerate others. I think there's great genetic diversity amongst people and amongst the stuff in your gut. So I wouldn't say it's bulletproof or not bulletproof. I did an experiment, for instance, about, I don't know when, this last year sometime. And I was getting more and more into looking at what's going on in the gut. And I said, all right, I'm going to take a source of FOS. I used a artich or Jerusalem artichoke extract, which is essentially the same thing as chicory when it comes to, uh, to getting fermentable fiber. And I took that with a probiotic. And I took it every morning with my Bulletproof coffee. I actually mixed it in to get kind of a sweet flavor. By the way, it doesn't taste that good. It was gross. But I'm like, all right, take one for the team. I gained 10 pounds in a week. Like, I was like, I don't have fat pants anymore. I haven't needed fat pants in a long time. So what's going on here? It was actually kind of gross. Like, I, I, I like uh, cargo pants, and like I couldn't put stuff in the pockets because my thighs were bulging. It was truly disgusting from my own perspective as a formerly obese man. And it took me about another week to lose the weight. And I stopped doing this. And what happened there is what I predicted in my post. Different probiotics cause you to gain weight. And it turns out there's fat people bacteria and there's thin people bacteria. So depending on which bacteria you're feeding, which ones are in your gut, which ones you're feeding, bacteria can hijack your system and make you gain weight. And they can also help you lose weight. So if it works for you, take it. Take it with a probiotic, take it with the right probiotic. The probiotic that I've taken for more than 10 years is Primal Defense or Primal Defense Ultra, which is a soil-based organism with a few other things in there. You can also take Prescript Assist, which is another soil-based organism. I actually take both. And there's another one you can take, uh, which is based on, uh, it's actually out of Canada. It's called Advanced Orthomolecular Research. It has a unique form of Clostridia in it, a, a healthy form of Clostridia. I started taking the AOR stuff in 2008, and I took it for about two years straight. I quit taking it because I ran out and it's hard to get. Uh, it was uh, actually Dr. Grace who got me from Animal Farm, who got me to, to re-experiment with taking it, but with a source of fermentable fiber. So you may find when you take inulin, if you take a handful of probiotics, you get a different effect when you don't. So it's not bulletproof, it's not bulletproof. Uh, or it's, it's, what is it? I don't know. But it is a biohack that you should experiment with. And when you do it, just take the probiotics, feed the stuff, and see what happens. Okay. So it's always about N equals one in the end, right? Like what works for you personally? It is. And I can tell you some of the stuff, and I, I've, I've really worked hard on the resistance arch recommendations from Free the Animal. I got hives from the stuff. I got fat. I got brain fog. Not from all of it. And the counter argument is, well, Dave, your gut bacteria must be messed up. But my U-biome results don't show that it's messed up. Uh, you know, I don't have any of the pathogenic ones from my uh, doctor's data, other gut pathogen test. I, I have a couple things that I don't particularly like, uh, but they're not considered pathogenic. So it's like, 
who knows, but uh, after extensive stuff there, I, I think it's going to come down to you may tolerate some forms of resistance to art, you may never tolerate others, and we don't know why yet. It may even be based on you know, the length of your colon or the diameter or something weird. There's a Korean school of acupuncture that says that. So there's so much learning going on here, so much N equals one and so much data sharing. Uh, I encourage you to play with fermentable starches, but if they mess you up, you need to make some changes, including switching the starch, switching the timing of the starch, switching the probiotics you take with the starch, and maybe having no starch for a couple of weeks to suppress levels and getting it back in. It, it is a constant game. And if you just do the bulletproof diet, um, without any of the fermentable starches other than a little bit maybe in the evening, uh, which is the time when I recommend having your starch anyway if you're gonna have starch. Uh, it seems to work pretty darn well and reliably, and that's what I stick with unless I'm hacking. Awesome. So the second question from Kevin was about tanning beds. What, like a quickly, what is your take on tanning beds? There's a real usefulness for tanning beds, and there's something called vitamin D sulfate, which only comes from UV exposure in the skin. So you can take vitamin D, which I recommend doing, but if you don't get the sulfate form of it from exposure to UV, you're not getting all the benefits you could get. So a tanning bed's a way to do that. I have my own vertical tanning bed, which is designed to get some UVA and some UVB, and I don't use it as often as I'd like because it takes you know, 10 or 15 minutes, however long the time around the thing is, and you have to wear those little red glasses to make you look like a bug. And for me, 15 minutes, I wanted to do something useful at that time. Uh, but I, I use it sometimes, just in order to get my levels up during winter, probably once a week. I'd probably use it three times a week in the morning. So yeah, it's a good idea. On the downside, you're typically getting some increased, actually pretty heavy duty exposure to EMF from most of them. But it's relatively short term, if you're not sensitive to that stuff, uh, that's cool. So short, short answer, thumbs up. There are different wavelengths you can get from different tanning beds. And you want to do your research about, you know, if you're going to a facility, well, which ones do they have? Uh, the one I use, I also use a, a ruby LED light because I want more collagen synthesis on my face. So you, I actually use a marijuana grow light for that that I bought off eBay for 40 bucks. It's this big panel of super bright red LEDs. So I'll put that in front of my face instead of the, the UV. Nice. And for those of you that are interested in light hacking and all that, uh, Steve Folks, there was a two-part podcast that he did. Uh, with Dave uh, about a month and a half ago that was awesome. The second part was all about hacking light. It's really interesting stuff. And when we talk about hacking your sleep, um, you know, he, he talked about using red lights in the evening and red lights in the morning when you wake up as a way to bracket your cortisol. And I found that that actually really helped um, with my sleep quality as well. Um, just adding the, the morning element of adding red light in, into um, – you know, and the same thing, you can get these LED lights that plug into your normal light socket on Amazon for six bucks. You can change the color, you can change the intensity. I recommend getting one that's probably five watts or more um, so that and you can always dial it down, but you want to have like the higher um, power on those. And I also recommend using red light or low blue light in the evening um, if you have kids because getting them ready uh, – their bodies ready for sleep as opposed to just going from, you know, the fluorescent lights straight into, well, sleep mode, like maybe they're having a hard time falling asleep. Well, this is just one little hack that you can use. Um, I have a six-year-old son and uh, in the evening it's low blue lights for at least an hour before he goes to bed and red lights. And since I've done that, I have noticed that he falls asleep faster, without a doubt. As a parent, I've got a, a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. Same thing. 
uh, we just, uh, we, after about four years of renting a, a relatively small house, we, we finally got in a position to, to buy a house. So we're in the middle of, of remodeling our place, and I'm actually going to put some videos up about some of the, the hacks of the house um, that will be coming up over the next couple months here. But each bathroom, I put a red LED light in above the shower with its own switch. So when you wake up in the morning, which is one of the times you want red light, you literally turn on the red light. It's not one of those heat lamps, although those would work, uh, but you're getting like an intense red light. And it's kind of neat because last night was the first night we spent in the new house. And Anna was having a hard time going to sleep. So we actually like, put her in the shower. It's been like a hot, sweaty play day here. So we put her in the shower, rinsed her off under a red light, and she went right, right to sleep, even though it was a brand new house. So it's become a part of our bedtime. We'd always had the amber lights for a long time, but switching to red, has made a difference. It's it's soporific, like it makes kids want to sleep. And if bedtime is like a tweaky, you know, make farting sounds kind of thing, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about, uh, red lights are the cure. Um, that's actually a good segue into a question that we got from Jared, who wants to know uh, what does, he says a week of bulletproof eating look like for your kids, but you know, maybe you could just kind of go through a normal day of what you feed your kids um, and you know, are they fully bulletproof and and, and how does that work in your house? They start out, a typical breakfast for the kids would be a soft, you know, sunny side up eggs cooked in ghee or butter or grass-fed salmon. And they may have some vegetables with that, they usually do. And they're going to be good to lunch. They don't actually want snacks. There's school where a lot of their poor little kids have, you know, a green apple for breakfast and then they start just freaking out at around 10 so they have a snack and it's the kids are like, well, I guess we'll eat a snack, but like, we're not hungry. Uh, but that's, that's kind of what they do. Around lunchtime, we usually have a soup made with a kind of bulletproof style, which is a ton of vegetables blended with some butter, a little bit of brain octane oil, sometimes collagen, and most often grass-fed lamb or grass-fed beef, just ground beef. We'll either like very lightly cook it in a pan or depending on the recipe for the soup, you just boil the vegetables in some water and then you add the meat, raw meat, to the water. Oh no, it's not browned? Well, it doesn't have to be browned. It got cooked by the hot water. And meat that's cooked in water is actually healthier for you than meat that was browned anyway. So we'll do that. Maybe add a little bit of bacon grease to it from some of the bacon that we've cured at home. And what it, oh, it's some herbs, of course. Oregano is a big favorite, rosemary, things like that. And what you get is a big kind of hearty bowl of soup. You blend it sometimes, you don't blend it other times. Don't blend the meat, the meat goes in after you blend it. So what they're getting is probably four servings of vegetables, way more than kids will normally eat. They're getting moderate protein and high fat. Now, they haven't had a lot of carbs at all. They may want a snack in the afternoon, which would be um, oftentimes butter on Mary's Gun crackers, and they're getting a little bit of carb there, but that's fine, kids need carbs. You shouldn't have zero carb kids unless they have uh, something like epilepsy or really severe migraines or yeast problems. So there's times when you might want to have low carbs for periods of time. But if you're a growing kid, you need some carbs and there's nothing wrong with that. So they get some then. I do tend to put carbs in the evening because it helps them sleep better at night. So it's very unusual for them to wake up at night. They go to sleep, they stay asleep, they'll sleep 10 hours, they'll sleep 11, 12 hours consistently and wake up feeling refreshed and happy and, and just stable and focused and it, it's amazing. Now they, they have their tantrums, but they're few and far between and, and it just feels like they're, they're happy with their energy. So around dinner time, it's gonna be a salad. The dressing is usually avocados, maybe a little bit of olive oil, maybe a few uh, soaked cashews uh, blended into the dressing, maybe some olives. Uh, the salad is 
little bit of lettuce, but usually cucumber, celery, some raw carrots, things like that. And then a meat dish. It's gonna be smoked, or it's not smoked, it'll be sockeye salmon, we cook it, or lamb from our friend uh, Judy down the street, or beef from across the street, <laughs> uh, which is really nice, because I live in an area where there's amazing quality food. And sometimes, for, sometimes we'll have rice with dinner, or we'll have sweet potato fries with dinner. Of course, there are some baked fries. And of course, there's butter on everything. And with that, the kids are totally satisfied. And sometimes, you know, as a special treat, probably every other night, they'll have some others. If we don't have rice after dinner, they'll have a little bit of that mochi, which we cook in a waffle maker. So you just get basically half of a waffle. Like, what? If you just get starch? Yeah, it's one of the clean sources of starch. It's not that much starch. If you're looking at one whole pack of that stuff, it's about a 160 grams of starch, so a quarter of it's about 40. So they're getting between 20 and 40 grams of rice when they do that, uh, which is of, of starch, I should say, not rice. And that's good. They need to feed their gut biome. And it works. They feel great. They're lean, they're strong, and they're very dense. When you pick up a, a typical child, their height and their thickness, I swear, it's like they're made out of like hollow something. And people are like, whoa, sorry. And then, then I got to pick up, you know, like, like there's bone density that comes from the K2. It, it's very noticeable. And other people comment on that. Like, why are your kids so heavy? It's, it's like they have lead in their shoes. And I think that's actually a sign of biological health, right? I'm pretty sure. That's awesome. And <laughs> a quick note on the mochi the waffles. This is amazing. If you have not tried this, uh, you can usually find mochi at you know a Whole Foods or um, you know natural foods place. Uh, it's not the ice cream. If you go in there and you ask for mochi, they're gonna send you to the ice cream aisle. It's usually in a little packet. Uh, blue is like the regular flavor, and it's like a really kind of hard, um, basically packed rice. And you take this, you cut it into like four pieces, and you can throw it on a waffle iron, and it looks exactly like a waffle. And you put butter and salt on it, or you can put some honey on it with some cinnamon, and it is amazing. It, it tastes great, and it's a great way to do a carb refeed. If you do it for breakfast, it'll mess you up. Like, <laughs> eat, do, breakfast is a fat and protein, or just fat time. Mm -hmm. um, but I find giving it to the kids in the evening, they do get a blood sugar spike, especially put honey on it, and they'll be like, ah, for about 20 minutes, and then they calm down, and then they sleep really well. And I'm the same way. If I have some of that at night, on a typical day, I've had zero starch and zero carbs other than broccoli carbs, which basically don't count, right? I've had none of that till dinner. And so I've gone through, first, I didn't, you know, the night before there was a fast. Then I had bulletproof coffee for breakfast. Then I had some lunch with protein and fat and lots of veggies. Dinner with protein, fat, and lots of veggies. If I have 30 or 50 or even 100 grams of carbs that are clean, as in white rice, which is what mochi's made out of, I sleep fine, I don't get gas, I don't get brain fog, I don't have any swelling, and basically I'm fine. If I do that on the day I work out, it's better. So I don't do that every night, but I do a small amount of carbs many nights because I'm still under my 25 grams of fructose a day and under 75 grams of carbs a day. And as long as I'm doing brain octane in my bulletproof coffee in the morning, I totally can get my blood ketone levels up. I've got a blood ketone level. I can go from 0.1 to 0.7 in about 45 minutes. In fact, Zach, you, you watched me do this at your house. We ate tons of sushi, like like stupid amounts of white rice the night before. I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna be able to go in ketosis. You drink the coffee, granted we put extra brain octane in there. Boom, my levels hit 0.7, which is the first level where you are when you enter a state of mild nutritional ketosis within, what, 12 hours of having a bunch of sushi? 
Yep. And for those of you out there interested in checking your ketone levels, you can get these uh, sticks on Amazon for maybe five or ten bucks and get a pack of a hundred of them that you that you pee on that can give you some data on you know your, your ketones in your urine. But if you want to take it to the next step and really figure out what your ketones are uh, in your blood, you can get this. The one that you use and, and that I have is, is like Precision Extra is the brand on Amazon. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, it's only about 30 bucks for the blood glucose uh, meter. And then the sticks themselves, the, the ketone ones are really expensive. They're like five bucks a piece, but the blood glucose ones are, are cheaper. So I've been experimenting with that this week as well and, and checking my ketone levels um, with my blood and, and finding you know, my own personal level of, okay, how does it feel when, I'm, when, I, when the the meter is telling me, I'm getting that feedback and it's showing, yes, you are in ketosis. Now I'm paying attention to how I feel so that I don't always need the, you know, to spend five bucks every, one, every time I want to check my ketone levels. So that's like a big part of, of biohacking is, is paying attention and using some of these tools uh, for feedback that gives you an understanding and then correlating that to how you feel. And then you don't need those tools as much after that because you just have a, an understanding of what your body feels like when you get into those states. We have onboard sensors for everything and they're just totally unlabeled. Right? So once you use this technology to label it, the same with heart math, right? Like what does it feel like when your fight or flight response triggers and what does it feel like to turn it off? I don't know, like meditate for 20 years and you'll figure it out. Or you could just have a sensor that like turns red when it happens and turns green when you undo it. And all of a sudden, it just takes years and a lot of struggle out. And I'm not about struggling. I'm about just getting it done and moving on to the next cool thing. Um, I don't know, maybe it's institutionalized ADD meditation. Well, it's, it's a good point. And uh, you touched on something when we were talking about food that I think is worth mentioning. A lot of people in our forums and, and on Facebook and stuff, they say, well, eating Bulletproof is really expensive and you know, grass-fed beef is expensive. And I just want to point out to people out there that you can usually find a really good source of high-quality grass-fed beef um, in your local area by finding a farm that uh, understands um, you know, the importance of feeding these cows grass. And if you go in with some of your friends or family on even just a quarter of a cow, you can get enough meat for potentially a whole entire year. You know, you get you get uh, one of these deep freezers from like Home Depot or something. You put it in your garage and you store your meat. You're gonna pay on average less than four dollars a pound for high quality grass fed beef, and you can use that every day and, and save money as opposed to going out and, and you know, buying pre-made meals and all that. So part of you know, living the Bulletproof lifestyle is around you know, optimizing the source of your, of your food. And it doesn't always, it's not always as expensive as it seems on, on the face of things. Yeah, you can go into Whole Foods and pay 20 bucks a pound for a ribeye that's grass-fed, or you can go this route and buy it in bulk and reduce the cost of it. So there's always an answer. I just wanna encourage people to go to the forums because all of this stuff is laid out um, by people that have been doing this for a while now in the forums, and there's a lot of conversations around how to save money and how to do it on a budget, and there's answers out there. In fact, uh, was it bulletproofexec.com slash beef? I, I think that's the URL. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, we have a link to um, uh, Glenn Elzinga, who's been on the show, and his extra fatty ground beef, I think it's like five fifty a pound. You can order 50 pounds of ground beef. And it'll magically arrive frozen in one pound packages. 
take it, split it in half. You're eating half a pound of beef a day like that, you've got a very nice, super high quality protein source that's amazingly delicious. And you're talking like less than the cost of a latte at Starbucks. There's uh, a place here, I'm in Oregon, uh, there's a local place that sells this ground beef, it's grass fed, and it's 70% ground beef, it's 20% heart and 10% liver, oh, or maybe it's 10% liver, but like, you, so you're getting your organ meats, but it's like mixed in with the ground beef, and what a great way, it tastes like normal, you, you, you really can't tell the difference. You're actually eating dog food, just... <laughs> oh, that's why. Uh, but you know, so there. A lot of people know that you know organ meats are really good for you. But who wants to sit there and chew on liver or like you have a liver smoothie? Uh, I've never tried that, and I don't think I will. But uh, I still would like to get you know organ meats into my diet. So that's like another easy way to do that. I can um, say desiccated liver capsules, way to go. So much tastier than raw liver smoothies. Yeah, and, and in fact, we've talked about this, and there are um, there are some good brands out there. We'll put in the show notes um, that you can just find on Amazon um, that that use grass fed um, liver and all that for the products. So, okay, so back to the questions. Uh, here's a good one um, from one of our forum members uh, who goes under the name Newtony, and um, she asks, uh, "Can you talk a bit more in depth about women and the bulletproof diet, specifically intermittent fasting?" Uh, supplementation and exercise. This is something really near and dear to me. I mean, I'm married to a woman uh, <laughs> who happens to be a physician as well. And I wrote a post a while back about uh, intermittent fasting and women. And most of the intermittent fasting community out there is is kind of dudes, and they're like gym dudes, right? You know, and, and so there, there's a lot of kind of bro culture there. And that's all that's all well and good and there's a lot of innovation there around just plain intermittent fasting but I found in my own case if I'm only going to sleep a few hours and I have a full day of work when I have to focus where like you know intense career and intense being a dad when I would do intermittent fasting I would crash around noon and it wasn't like I'm disabled crash it was just like I'm I lost my edge like I want to be in the zone I, I have deals to do I have meetings to attend I have people to take care of and I don't want to feel this way I noticed for my own adrenal stuff, I needed more sleep if I was going to do that. But when I would go and I do the bulletproof intermittent fasting protocol where you have the fat for energy, I felt way better. And then I would hear from women online, and this is you know a, a common complaint. They do intermittent fasting, they don't get the same results as guys. So from an adrenal perspective, having an energy source in the morning seems to work better with uh, women's hormones. And I've had several conversations with uh, Sarah Godfrey, who's also been on the podcast, who's become a good friend. And she's author of The Hormone Cure, which is a book for women mostly over 40. If you're in that category, you totally should read her book. It's really good about hormone hacking. And so increasing fat in the morning really, really helps. That said, when I work with uh, female clients, if they go on a zero-carb diet, it almost always breaks their sleep first, and then they just kind of lose their edge. So I think women are more, they need carbohydrates more than men. And there's some evidence of that, especially at different times of the month. So the Bulletproof Protocols for Women recommend twice a week having a carb refeed in the evening especially. So when you do that, it really changes the way your adrenals respond to it. But if you're a woman doing plain intermittent fasting, you're at relatively high risk of adrenal burnout. You're gonna need a lot of extra sleep, you might wanna take adrenal supplements, and I don't see a reason for following that protocol. You should try it with fat in the morning, 
and just fat. And then you want to look at when and how you refeed. Some women, you have you know a half a cup of rice every night, and that's fine. You're still way low on it. And if you're taking brain octane oil, you're still able to make ketones. And Zach, you know, because you've got a blood meter. You can see if you take the oil, you, you get ketones even in the presence of carbs. You don't get a huge score of ketones, but you get enough ketones for your brain to be happy. And really, the Bulletproof Diet, end of the day, it's about making your brain happy, energized, and focused, and your body weight will follow when the brain works well. So uh, that's kind of been front and center for me for a long time. And I would add to that with intermittent fasting part for women, um, a lot of people uh, on the Bulletproof team, a lot of the women that um, are doing this biohacking stuff and we talk about it um, you know, on a, a weekly basis, they have said that having the Bulletproof coffee in the morning um, with, with no other food and with no protein and, and no carbs, they usually don't last as long with the, the the hunger cravings the food cravings are turned off but around you know 11 or 12 they start to get hungry again and when we started experimenting with some different ideas on our team um, a lot of the women responded and said wow just adding um, about four tablespoons of the collagen protein which is like 28 grams of protein when they add that into their bulletproof coffee it extends that to you know two three p.m which normally for, for males, it seems to like just kind of naturally happen till about two, you don't get hungry. Um, so what I've seen and what we've seen on our, on our team is that adding the collagen protein um, in the morning to the Bulletproof coffee can actually help extend that intermittent fasting. And it's, you know, you're technically still getting protein. And so you're, you're, you're able to get ketones with the brain octane, but also give you that, you know, sustained um, energy and turn the food cravings off. It's interesting. I, I've seen that as well. For women, some women just need protein in the morning. Not all of them. It, it's it's very much, uh, you need to test this. For most men, when they add protein, including collagen, they're gonna be hungrier one to two hours sooner. But for women, if, especially they're leptin resistant, they have a little bit of weight to lose, or they're just that way, adding protein makes them last longer. I would bet, but I don't have a study about this, that if, when you take protein in the morning, uh, if it makes you last longer, you probably had the beginnings of leptin resistance going on. And leptin resistance, as you may know if you listen to this a lot, is a precursor to insulin resistance. So it, it's, it's fascinating and it's highly variable. The reason that you use, say, collagen protein is, well, most of us don't have enough collagen protein. Collagen protein is very high in glycine and it's low in methionine and cysteine. It also is free of casein. And if you take casein, which is you know, the reason I don't recommend even like raw cream or uh, milk or half and half or any of those things that have more casein in them. If you mix those into coffee, what they do is they bind to the catechins. These are some of the antioxidants in the coffee that are particularly important for you. So you don't get all the benefits of antioxidants in coffee or in tea. And we originally discovered this looking at uh, British. They put milk in their tea and they don't get the cancer protective effects that you would expect because the milk is inactivating the polyphenols in the tea. So with coffee, one of the reasons I switched to butter when I was doing this research earlier, one of the reasons I recommended ghee as being even better from a health perspective, but not as good from a taste perspective in coffee, is that ghee is 100% free of casein and cultured butter has less casein than cream. And plus, honestly, if you're putting raw cream in your coffee, like 
there's this really basic thing. You spend like $10 for a little thing of raw cream. When you put it in hot coffee, it's not raw anymore. Just so that's... <laughs> so I, I kind of laugh when people are like, I put raw cream in my coffee. I'm like, go buy non-raw cream and put it in your coffee if you want cream, but you're not going to get all the coffee benefits. Use the grass-fed butter and recreate the small droplets of fat that are particularly good. That's why you blend it instead of eating a stick of butter like a Snickers bar. So, you know, it turns out the size of the structure really matters. Yeah, and also another distinction to make is when we say adding protein to your, your bulletproof coffee, the collagen protein that we sell is actually heat stable. And But if you use our way or any other way proteins, it'll denature the proteins in the hot coffee. And also even by just by blending it can, can affect the proteins as well. So make sure that you're, you know, if you're going to put it in your hot coffee, uh, it's better to use the collagen just because yeah. or, or even an egg if you just want cheap protein crack a couple eggs in there and it tastes just fine um, yeah you're totally right I, I feel bad our i went to a lot of trouble with the protein it's grass-fed low temperature process way and 20 percent of it is colostrum which is basically mother's milk so it's a, a very high-end thing and to take that and just like put it in hot water you're like oh man all that colostrum like all the the economic resources that went into, you know, milking the cows and extracting all these bioactive peptides and then to just jack them all up like that. So please, if you want protein in the morning from whey, drink the whey protein cold. Don't even over blend it. Blend it gently. <laughs> and then drink your coffee or do it vice versa. But you're better off to space them out. Absorb the coffee first and then have the whey. But I don't think whey and coffee really go together in a beverage. You're not going to get the most you get out of either one. If you wanted to put them together, freeze the coffee into ice cubes, make a smoothie out of that, and then add the whey in. And I've done that quite a bit. It's more work, but you're still going to probably inactivate some of the absorption of the coffee compounds that you could get. So. Awesome. And so just to, to follow up with Newton's question about women, we talked about intermittent fasting. What do you think are the most important supplements uh, for women specifically to start with? And then exercise, do you have any different recommendations for women around supplementation and exercise? Vitamin D3, vitamin K2, and krill oil are particularly important for women. There's bone density issues there, and krill oil tends to help with the, the monthly cycle. And in fact, it, some people are marketing krill oil specifically for PMS and things like that. So getting those things in is going to be really, really important. And that matters whether or not you're at the, the age of fertility or not. But if you're looking to have children or you're still in a phase of life where you're highly fertile, having those things, should you get pregnant, is only going to help the outcome. The other two supplements that would be really important, collagen, as a, more as a protein source than actually a nutritional supplement because it's actually a food, not a supplement. Um, collagen is, is amazing for skin and hair. And even if you want to grow healthy connective tissues of any sort, including, say, the scaffolding for your bones, you've got to have raw materials for it. So I find that, that women in particular love the collagen. And then, what else? oh, uh, serapeptase is another one that is fantastic. And serapeptase comes from silkworms. And it's a proteolytic enzyme. And you take it on an empty stomach. I usually take mine before I go to bed. And I'm way more flexible than I should be for a 41-year-old guy. I used to not be able to touch my toes when I was a kid. I had all kinds of tissue adhesions. I've taken a lot of serapeptase, but it can help with flexibility, help with recovery from any kind of injury, whether it's an internal injury or not. So I think part of staying young is giving yourself enough proteolytic enzymes 
to break down scar tissue and to help your body maintain and repair itself. Awesome. And exercise, uh, for women, do you have a different recommendation? Uh, or like, what's your general, well, maybe you could just talk generally what the bulletproof recommendation is on exercise. You know, the Body by Science stuff from Doug McGough is the most efficient I've come across. And there are, there's five core exercises that are stimulating of your muscle, things like squats, push-ups, pull-ups. It's 15 minutes once a week. And this is enough if you do that and you do some sprints. So for women, this is fantastic, but make sure you have carbs after you work out. This is not you know a, an extreme low-carb kind of thing. The bulletproof diet isn't meant to be an extreme low-carb diet. It matters when and what type you eat. And you know, the idea of eating you know, some kind of fried pie or something as your carb source, or you know, a roll of pizza is, is not, it's not going to work as well. So be conscious of, of the type of carbs you use and when you use them. But if you do this kind of heavy exercise, my recommendation is the same for women and men. On the day you work out, plan to get an extra hour or two of sleep and eat a ton of food, including fat, including protein, and including carbs the night that you work out. That's just good common sense, and it's been done by you know the the weightlifting community that they usually use. Uh, even going back into the '90s, these you know power replenish super maltodextrin beverages. I, I wouldn't say do that. Your goal is to spike your insulin, but your goal is to improve your sleep quality by having enough enough carbs present in the body. Uh, here's a question that is going to be near and dear to you. Uh, it's from John D. He's 28 years old, and he writes, "Dear Dave." I, along with my wife and my cat, started having some weird symptoms in the past few months that included hair loss, uh, congested nose, inflamed eyes, extremely dry skin, loss of appetite, fatigue, and, and anxiety, and we discovered that toxic black mold was all over our new apartment. We moved and got rid of all of our stuff, and now we feel better, but still quite sick. Uh, could you recommend any supplements uh, apart from glutathione, which they take? Uh, to help us feel better after toxic mold exposure? This is an increasing problem. Uh, we've increased the toxicity of the soil molds quite dramatically uh, through some of our agricultural practices, particularly spraying Roundup and, uh, on the soil, which pumps out more aggressive toxin levels. And we've also even changed the genetic mutation rate of some of the soil molds. So there's an FAO... Uh, report that says that they think 25% of the world's agricultural commodities are contaminated with toxic molds. And the definition of contamination is, is subject to debate because different countries have different definitions of this. So we have this coming into our bodies from our food source. And you do that and then you start inhaling it. Well, we all know that inhaling is a little bit stronger than eating. And when you inhale toxic black mold, and I've lived in a couple houses that had this, it can set off a, a huge inflammation storm. And in a lot of people, you don't really get better without very specific protocols to turn on genes that were turned off. Now, this is such a problem uh, that I'm uh, out of my own pocket and funding a documentary about toxic mold in the environment. The house I just bought has toxic mold in it. And I know because I tested the air and I got the numbers. And I would tell you, if you're gonna move into an apartment, it doesn't matter if it's in a fancy apartment complex or it's some other place you're renting. If you spend a few hundred bucks on getting an ERMI analysis, environmental relative mold index, if the levels of spores inside the house are higher than they are outside the house, the house has water damage. And I'm a canary to this stuff because I, my immune system was seriously damaged by toxic mold. And 
I can tell when I go into a place that has it because my brain doesn't work very well. And it's very predictable and I've tied it to data. And I'm not alone. There's a huge number of people who have this. They just don't know. Like, I feel not so good right now. And I think I'll go home and get some extra sleep and feel like crap tomorrow. It, was, it, it feels random, but it's not. So what you can do when you're exposed to this is get out. And these people did the right thing, including if you have a really bad one, you should get you should know what it is, get it tested. And then if it is one of the ones like Stachybotrys that makes extremely fine particles, anything you have that's porous may be contaminated. And if you keep doing that, you'll get sick. I still have papers uh, in a, a sealed container. And if I open that thing of papers from when I lived in a moldy house, um, I get symptoms. My eyes swell up, I, get, I start sneezing. So I only open those outside because they have spores on them and there's not much you can do about that. And that may sound crazy, it's not. This stuff is well documented. It's known in the mold remediation industry. Uh, ask people around uh, who are affected by Hurricane Katrina. Like their possessions get moldy and they don't get unmoldy if they're made out of paper or, or cardboard or something. So what do you do personally? You bind the heck out of the toxins. A lot of mold toxins are very similar to cholesterol. They actually, I believe in some studies, the effects of cholesterol are confused with the effects of, with the effects of mold toxins because mold toxins are structurally almost identical. So things that bind to cholesterol and eliminate it can eliminate the toxins from mold as well once they've inhaled. So an example there would be activated charcoal, cholestyramine, or bentonite clay. Uh, these are things, or even some sorts of fiber like modified citrus pectin. These are all things, not all, many of those things are used by the US military in their protocols for toxic mold exposure because it's a recognized problem. What I would recommend you do though, if you've been exposed is there's a video about a 45 minute video where I give a whole lecture on this and we'll link to that in the show notes. There's a lot in there for you, but you really owe it to yourself to go to an integrative functional medicine doctor who has experience with toxic mold and say, look, I want to turn this stuff back on. And we're going to, they're going to ask you to do things like get your melanocyte stimulating hormone levels tested. There are things that are like VIP things that are precursors to leptin. So what happened is something very high up in your control system got jacked and oftentimes it's your pituitary gland. So all of the control systems in the body, your adrenals, your thyroid, all this stuff gets broken because the mold attacks the pituitary. So this is probably more than we're gonna get into in the time we've got now, but you wanna see a toxic mold specialist. There are things you can do to turn on the genes that are gonna stop the inflammation. There are supplements you can take, but if you don't do these things, your chances of getting back to your full levels of performance aren't as high and it may take years. So avoid the fibromyalgia, the chronic fatigue, and these other like neurodegenerative diseases that can come as a result of exposure to toxic molds by recognizing the severity of the problem and then seeking out an expert and putting together a really detailed protocol. I would also encourage you to look at ozone treatment, which is highly alternative, but works wonders in cases of toxic mold. Awesome. And real quickly, you touched on activated charcoal as a, as a you know, way to detox. And, uh, you know, people always ask as well about that question or about that product is what, how often do you use it? And then what is, so if you take supplements in conjunction with that, like what do you recommend as far as spacing it out? How much time in between supplements? Are there certain vitamins or supplements that um, are okay to take with it? And, um, how often should you be taking activated charcoal every day? Got it. So there is, there's a kind of a variance in recommendations there. There's one group of people who will tell you that, that activated charcoal of any sort, and just so people know, 
I manufacture the, the most fine activated charcoal that you can buy as a nutritional supplement, um, which is called um, upgraded coconut charcoal. But what I'm talking about here is, is activated charcoal as a general class. What differentiates its ability to bind to toxins is the particle size. So different sizes of particles have different affinities for different things, and the finer particles have more surface area. So when your particles have a ton of surface area and they have a negative charge, they tend to attract positively charged molecules to them. Proteins tend to have a positive charge. And there are lots of studies that show in animals, activated charcoal has an affinity for specifically mold toxins. Uh, some mold toxins, not others. There's very fine nuances between different toxins and all. But as a general toxin binder, it does attract those things. And it's used widely in agriculture to feed moldy food to animals so that the animals die less often and you can sell them even though they still have toxins in them. So uh, the problem is that one group of people will say, well, if they, they do that, they're going to bind to vitamins from the meat you ate or from the vegetables you ate, so you shouldn't take it with food. There's another group of people who say, well, activated charcoal doesn't have any evidence of binding to food because we use it all the time in animals and it doesn't bind to their food. So obviously it binds to some things, not others, but the, the nutrition gets through. My own experience having taken activated charcoal for more than 10 years on a regular basis is that I don't appear to have nutrient deficiencies as a result of taking it. That said, taking it every day may have nutrient deficiency risks. I don't believe that that's the case, but I've seen people say that it is people I respect. Uh, and certainly people who've made arguments that way. So what is the science there? Uh, the science is you're a biohacker and you, you have to, to do what works. I do think that taking on an empty stomach, even on a daily basis, there's something to be said for that because you're not gonna buy into nutrients on an empty stomach. So what I like to do is I take two to four charcoal capsules on a daily basis. And I tend to do that mid-afternoon, mid-morning. And I also, if I'm gonna go to a restaurant, I'll take it with the food, almost always, because restaurants, they have lower standards for food than I do, and I can usually feel it. So if something was old, or they used a lower quality spice mix, or they just had a little bit of MSG. I can tell you, I don't always know what's in there, but I can tell you on average, if I take charcoal at a restaurant, I feel better afterwards. I just, I don't, I don't have a dip. I don't wanna have a dip, I just wanna feel good all the time. So in my mind, it's a preventative thing. When I fly, I take extra charcoal. And if I've had a long day, or I'm kind of pulling an all-nighter, I'll take charcoal. Um, before bed. I take a bunch of stuff right before bed, so I'll take charcoal a half hour before that. And the reason is that, and this is almost never talked about, when you stay up really late or you have jet lag, you're flying over time zones, it's not just you that's disturbed. It's your gut bacteria that are disturbed. And when they get disturbed, they make more toxins. Because your gut bacteria do things to help you, they also do things against you. So if you can mop up the toxins from your gut bacteria, you'll be amazed, like after a night of drinking, or eating junk food, take some charcoal before you go to sleep, you wake up the next morning, you feel better. And part of this is the, the toxin binding effects of what's going on in the gut. So it's, it's a fascinating substance. The downside of activated charcoal is constipation. So if you're having the Kingsford briquette version of disaster, uh, disaster pants, you should, uh, you should watch out for that. So if you find that happening, you're taking too much. Uh, different people have very different amounts of tolerance. You need to drink extra water if you're going to take any toxin binder, including extra fiber, including bentonite clay, including activated charcoal, uh, even including like a psyllium husk or something like that. Awesome. So the key there is if you're eating foods that are suspect, that you're not quite sure on the source, uh, if you're drinking alcohol, uh, absolutely, that's, that's a good time to take activated charcoal. And I know that 
for myself and for my friends whenever I go out and hang out. Like I bring the activated charcoal with me and I hand it out to people at like the bar or something and they're like, what, what is this guy handing out pills for? Uh, but people always tell me like, oh, I, did, I did feel better the next day. Yeah. So it, it does help. The biochemistry there is pretty clear and I, I feel comfortable with this one. It's been used for 10,000 years. Like it's an Ayurvedic substance. It's been used by you know American Indians for digestive discomfort, you feel nausea, you have diarrhea, you have like really bad gas. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, last night, my seven-year-old had something foul uh, coming out of her. And, you know, before bed, she got two capsules of activated charcoal and it was gone in the morning. And it, it's one of those things where, like, before I would reach for a pharmaceutical or something like that, um, it, it's commonly used for reducing bloat and gas. So it's, you know, a, a, a mild way of addressing that. So. It's actually what they give you in the hospital if you go in for poisoning, right? Yeah, it's true. In fact, any ER doctor, my, when I first started using activated charcoal um, around Lana, I was using, uh, some of the time, I was making a smoothie with just loose stuff. And it makes like a cloud of black stuff that sticks to everything. It's terrible. It's one of the reasons I finally went to the trouble of making capsules with ultra-fine stuff. Um, was to avoid that mess. And she's like, every ER doctor hates that because you pump it into someone's stomach, like if they take too much, uh, like Tylenol or something. Uh, but it gets all over the floor and you can't clean it because it's so fine. So you know, it's sort of like they torture the new nurses in an ER room, like, oh, sorry, someone threw up activated charcoal in that room. Like, that's your room to clean. And you're like, no. So yeah, it, it's kind of well known. Mostly. Awesome. So uh, we're coming up, uh, you know, on the end of the show here. And, uh, We've answered a lot of the questions from the community. There are more questions. We will continue to do these Q&As because uh, it, it's just a great way for people to you know, get their, their answers, uh, get answers to their questions directly from you. And so if you have questions that, um, that you want answered by Dave, uh, you can go to the blog. We'll put a link to the show notes where you can you know, submit your questions. Uh, also go to the forums. Um, there's always a, a great place there. We've said that several times, but it's it's true. Like there's there's a group of people that are like spending the time every day there. Um, so there are plenty of people that want to help. And in fact, let's give some shout outs to some of these people that are really active in the forums and express some gratitude for um, the time that they spend there helping the community. So the you know some of the names are um, this is the screen names. So some of them are kind of funny. ACH eighty five, Drummond Angelirio, uh, Desp. Uh, Demon of Chauka, uh, Garrett K, uh, Pierre Eklund, Nick At, Marielle, Rika, Newtney, Pizza Bagel, Zeke and Destroy, uh, and Finnis, and Andy Boskamp. Uh, thank you to all of you for um, your just your dedication to you know being a part of this community and really helping others that are just coming uh, into the bulletproof lifestyle. You know, get their their questions answered, and also especially to Jason who prefer kind of moderating the forums and, and making sure that uh, people are uh, efficiently getting their answers. So thank you to all of you guys. I really appreciate the forums. There's there's more posts than I can read in a day. I mean, the, the, the volume there of knowledge and answers, and sometimes I, I'll jump in and I'm like, wow, everything was answered and it was answered right. Or like there's a, a discussion of a point where like, I didn't know that point. So there's some serious biohackers hanging out there, those guys you just heard of and a bunch more. So if, if you have a new question or at all, it's a friendly place. And one of the rules there is like, you can tell someone they're wrong, right? But 
no personal attacks, right? And so we'll, we'll ban people for that, right? It, it's totally fine to say, I disagree with everything you said, you know, that's wrong, as a matter of fact, that's harmful. And we'll, we'll have the discussion. But if you're like, what you said is wrong, you know, you're a flaming jerk and, you know, you said this because, you know, you're, I don't know what other people think about this stuff, but, you know, you, you want to question someone's motives um, for offering some free advice on a forum. Um, there's actually a really cool study that just came out that said people who have um, an excessive amount of cynical distrust have a three times higher incidence of cognitive dementia when they're older. The bottom line is there's people on these forums who are there to help. And if you're going to kind of show up and, and crap on the party, like don't, don't be unkind to other people because that's not how it works there. And we do moderate that stuff. And Jason, thank you for keeping the peace. Uh, and if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. Uh, put it out there um, because I think this stuff matters. So thank you all. And thanks for listening. Awesome. And as always, go to, go to Facebook, click like, go to iTunes, give us a review. And uh, subscribe on YouTube because there's new videos every week. Zach, hey, thanks for sharing your biohacking stuff as well. Totally appreciate you running this Q&A and we'll talk soon. All right. Have you heard about our new Brain Octane Oil? It goes far beyond upgraded MCT or any other coconut product for creating maximum cognitive function. This is about 4% of what's in coconut oil. It's 18 times stronger than coconut oil, and it's what I put in my Bulletproof coffee every single day. I use upgraded coffee beans, brain octane oil. In my case, I can take two tablespoons of it, but a lot of people use much less than that. And I put a couple tablespoons of grass-fed butter in there, blend it, and have an amazing day. If you haven't felt the difference between upgraded MCT and brain octane oil, you owe it to yourself to give it a shot. Bulletproof Radio. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.